it takes a village to raise a child, or does it? You know, that, obviously that is an oftentimes statement that we hear from the media, we hear from all kinds of people. It's actually an old African proverb is what they think it is. But it's said by our culture to try to force our culture's ideals into the minds of our children. It takes a village to raise children. So who really has the responsibility to raise our children? Is it the government? Is it the public school system? Frankly, is it the church? Or is it parents? Today we're going to spend some time in the Word of God talking about biblical family. We're going to start by addressing the children of the church, and then we're going to move on to parents. So I pray that we are ready for an incredibly relevant and difficult study on the biblical family. So join us as we read in Colossians 3, 20 and 21, with a parallel with Ephesians 6, 6, 1 and 6, 4. It'll be up here, and you can join me as we read God's Word. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Going to Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And Ephesians 6, 4, finally. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, last week we talked about biblical marriage, and now we're talking about biblical family, and these are very difficult sermons, very difficult teachings. Uh, as, we, as we come to these things, we can't skip over them, as we've talked about before, because we teach book by book, verse by verse, expositionally, and so we get caught with verses like this that are just culturally difficult. Uh, these are verses that are, uh, are, are countercultural, uh, frankly, even countercultural in the church itself among many people. And so, God, I just pray that you help us to, to, to lay down all of our preconceived ideas about biblical family, just as we hopefully did last time with biblical marriage. And may we start with your word, not with our experience, not with our ideas, not with our opinions, not with our uh, just thoughts, not even with our heart, because we know that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, as we see in Jeremiah. But God, we know that your word is an error, that your word is the perfect word of God, and may we be humbled by it. May your word be what comes out of my mouth. And Lord God, may, may we live our lives and do family according to your word. Amen. Today we're going to discuss two ways in which Christ is glorified in, by the family and in the family. Number one, Christ is glorified by godly children. Christ is glorified by godly children. Hitting our two verses again that speak to children in Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord, and that's paralleled in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I'm sure we have many parents in the room that just said, Amen. I love this. This is a great sermon. I'm so glad my kids are a part of the service. I'm so glad they're sitting here and they're hearing this pastor. Let them know, obey your parents. I wouldn't get too excited yet, however, though, because it's going to be a lot like last sermon. And if you were at the last sermon, if you listened to the last sermon, you realize that husbands like, felt pretty good about the first half until they became the focal point of the scripture. And then all of a sudden it got a little bit more difficult for them. So, so yes, it's great to you know, see our children hear the word of God opened up to them, but just know your time's coming, so don't get too excited yet. Uh, so we've, as we start off, we see this word children. And this word children in the Greek is techna, which is general term for any child that is in the home and still under the parent's support and authority. So in our culture, this is pretty much going to be any child still in the home that hasn't went off. Right? And so by delving into the rest of this verse, we see that this, I think we have this really important aside before we talk about children 
and we need to make sure that we understand a biblical view of marriage and a biblical view of, of children growing up and becoming independent. And sometimes uh, we can see these verses start to be twisted by parents who maybe want to continue controlling their kid, even when they're a man, even when they're a woman. And so we see in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So once we are married, we are no longer under our parents' authority. We are to honor them and respect them. We're no longer under their authority. It's just an aside there. So getting back to our verse, I love that children are addressed directly. It doesn't say, parents, tell your children this. Uh, it, it doesn't say, make sure that you do family worship at home at the end. And family worship is great. Don't get me wrong. But when, when Paul's sending this letter, he, you notice that he doesn't say, he just addressed parents, and he doesn't say, parents, take this word home to your children. Make sure that you, you read this in children's church. Make sure it's read there. Uh, make sure it's read in the youth group. Make sure it's read. No, he speaks to the congregation. This is a letter that was read in a church service, kind of like we're having, and it was read to the entire congregation. Everybody from 100 down to zero, it was read to them. And this is another reason why we feel so strongly about keeping our kids, our children, our young people in the service with us because we are one body. We're not two bodies. We're not three bodies. We're one body, many parts. And so the word preaches to adults. It preaches to children. It preaches to all of us. And so if Paul wanted them to hear that read, how much more does he want the rest of Scripture and the gospel read to children? So uh, that, that's one of the reasons why we feel so strongly there. Moving forward, he tells them to obey who? Their parents. And this word obey is a lot stronger than the word submit that we saw last week when it talked about wives submit to your husbands as is fitting for the Lord. That word submit isn't near as strong as this word obey. And then it goes even one more step further, and it says obey in what? In everything. That's a big word, in, in everything. So, I mean, this is a pretty extreme command for children. It's a pretty tough thing, right? Can, can any, all the sons and daughters here, raise your hand if you've obeyed everything that your parents have ever said. I'll put my hand down, too, because I'm a son as well. So, so none of us here can raise our hand, right? Other than Jesus Christ, he'd be the only one that could say, yep, that's me. That's why he was the only one that was able to die for our sins, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. So this is a tough command, and, and this command is tough for one reason, especially because it's to prove that you're a sinner, that you can't obey. It sets that bar to an unrealistic level, and you need to keep going after it, but it lets you know you will always fall short, but Christ is there, and salvation is in him. We see that this, that this is so important that he even addressed it in the Ten Commandments as we see the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and your mother in, in Exodus twenty twelve, that your days may be long in the land that, that the Lord your God is giving you. As children under your parents' authority, you're, you, you're to obey them and respect them, we see here. And then looking back at our verse in, in Colossians three twenty, he ends this verse with what? For this pleases the Lord. So we saw husbands were to submit to their, or wives were to submit to their husbands as it is fitting for the Lord, same kind of thing. And now we see that children are to obey their parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. And notice that this is, a depend, is not a dependent clause. It's not obey your parents if they're perfect. Obey their parents if they do everything right. Obey, honor and obey your parents because they are amazing, right? Uh, you know, it is not that. It's not dependent. It's independent. It's an independent clause. You're to obey your parents no matter how wonderful or not wonderful your parents are. You're to obey your parents because it's the Lord's command. And no parent is perfect, I'm afraid, myself included. And we're to obey our parents because God said so. 
You know, our kids oftentimes ask why. I'm sure you all have had that happen a couple of times in your homes. Maybe, 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 uh, maybe it's just mine. Uh, they, but, you know, kids ask why. And, I mean, the, the, the actual answer to that question is because, not even because I said so, and I think that's maybe some of the times we, we do that as parents. Parents ever say, I said so, because I said so. You know, sometimes you just don't want to explain it. You don't really want to take the time, but you don't have to explain it. There's, there's some truth there. But the big thing is because God commanded you to obey me. Like, that's why you're supposed to do it. It's a lot bigger than, wh- than me, but it's because God said you're to obey me. And unless I'm telling you to do something that is sinful, kids, if your parents tell you to do something sinful, like hit your sibling or go steal something, obviously you would not do that. Hopefully none of the parents here would tell their kids to do that. I, I think that's pretty rare in our churches. But, but, you know, unless it's a sinful thing, even if it's something you don't understand, even if it's something you don't like, even if it's something that you don't even agree with, if it's not sinful, you're to obey them in everything. And so how do, how do kids and children, young adults even, or young people, young adolescents, how, how do they learn how to do this? Like, because it's hard, right? Obeying, doing something that somebody else wants you to do that you don't want to do is hard. As an adult, it doesn't get any easier, I hate to tell you. It, it's always hard to do something that somebody else wants you to do that you don't want to do. Even if it's, you know, and, and when it's sinful, obviously we shouldn't. But if it's something that our boss tells us to do, we don't really want to write that report. Well, you just have to do it. You have to obey your authority. And so this is where this is. If you want to grow, I think the Proverbs are the best place to do this. So the Proverbs are, are just chopped uh, full of uh, great instruction to kids, great instructions to us as well. So if you're a child and you really want to learn, how do I get more wisdom? How do I get better at this whole obeying my parents thing? How, how do I grow? Well, I would say, hey, man, hit the Proverbs. I'm just going to read five of them real quick in kind of a shotgun formation here. Proverbs 13.1. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. 15.5, a fool despises his father's instruction, or instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. Proverbs 10.17, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. Proverbs 23.22, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. And finally, Proverbs 10.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. I think the Bible's pretty clear that, that children obey, your, obey their parents in everything. And those who are disobedient to their parents are termed foolish multiple times in Proverbs. If you don't want to know what foolish is, spend a little time reading all the way through Proverbs, and you can see what God thinks about foolishness. He's not a big fan, so I'll just, I will, I'll just say he doesn't like it. Um, so obviously we want to obey our parents because God said so. And we need to make sure that we don't spend time thinking about our parents, whether they deserve it or not. Uh, that we don't obey because of, of dependence on them or saying, yeah, well, mom and dad sinned yesterday, so if they sinned, I can sin. But, but I pray that we, uh, as, as children, the children of the church, that we obey our parents of the Lord because it's what God has called us to do. And, and I just want to kind of come to an end of this point. I want to kind of really humbly address the children here for a moment. You, your parents are struggling as well. Being a godly parent is tough in today's culture. There are so many forces uh, that, are, that are trying to influence us, secular psychology, so many things, humanism, that we're having to fight right now. We're fighting for your souls. We're fighting for your lives as parents. And so lift your parents up in prayer because it's hard. It is a tough generation that we live in. Uh, the other, uh, you know, and, and we don't always know the answers. And so we need the Lord. We need wisdom. And so lift your parents up daily. Uh, and, and, and really just humbly approach God for your parents and intercede for them. And moving forward, Christ is glorified by godly parents. 
Christ is glorified by godly parents. Children, you can rest a little bit more now, and now, now watch your parents get hit. Uh, and that's most of the sermon. So, um, so Christ is glorified by godly parents. So we're going to hit 321 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And the parallel verse, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So as you can see, there's some significant overlap and a little addition that we see in Ephesians 6, 4 that we'll get to as well. And I want to kind of systematically go through this and help us to apply it practically. So we see that both of these verses start off with what? Fathers. And so you can see in the point, I, I put parents there. Uh, some commentators would actually say this, this could be parents. I think it's more likely fathers. When we look, there actually already is a parents here. Obey your parents in the Lord. This is a different word. I think it's much more literally fathers. But I put parents there because it still is. Children are to obey both of us as mother and father. We are a team. We are one. The two become one flesh. But obviously, Paul says fathers because dads are supposed to be the leaders of the family. I also put parents, too, because in, in our culture, we sadly can't assume a father is going to be there. We have many, many families where a father is not there. And so, you know, mothers have to kind of do both roles. We see, you know, a lot, a lot of reasons for that. It may be the father ran from responsibility. Maybe the father passed away. Maybe another reason. Um, but, but, but we see that this verse is, is directed toward fathers. Mothers would fall right there, too. So, so kind of hear me as I say fathers. It means kind of both, but just know, you know, fathers are supposed to be the leaders of their family. And so moving forward, we see that they're not supposed to provoke their children, lest they become discouraged. This word provoked in Colossians is actually erethezo in the Greek, which means to rouse to anger, to stir up, or to irritate, or to be quarrelsome. Fathers, sometimes we can, we can do that. I have a tendency sometimes to, to shoot first and ask questions later. I don't know any other fathers here do that sometimes where it's like, okay, probably need to take a step back. That just happened last night. I'll just admit, you know, it, it, it's hard sometimes as a father. You know, you just want to handle stuff, make it, make it happen. And sometimes we got to repent and say, I'm sorry. You know what? I didn't do that perfectly. I, I could have maybe taken that back. Because here's the issue. If we're too harsh with our children, if we provoke them, we irritate them, we're quarrelsome, we're, we're, we're overbearing, and even mothers too, it, it discourages your children. And we see that that word means to lose heart, discouraged, to lose heart. Have you ever seen a child who's lost heart? I mean, it is a horrible, horrible situation. When you see a kid that has just been so beat down by their parents, they've lost heart, they have no confidence, they're completely wiped out. We have to watch how we discipline our children. We need to be firm, strong, but loving and gracious as well. As we move forward, we get to two important uh, words here. How we discipline, how we instruct matters. And so we definitely don't want to be too firm, too hard, but we also don't want to be too weak. We want to be strong as well. And so Paul commands fathers to do two different things, to instruct their children or train their children, and number two, to discipline their children or admonish their children. So note I'll again mention fathers, but, but obviously mothers uh, are, are a part of this as well. So this first word is discipline in the ESV, and, and, and this word here in the Greek is pavia, pavia, and I think it's a lot deeper than, than, than how the ESV actually does this. And, and I would almost actually say that they kind of switch the definitions. In the English, when you're reading it, it doesn't really change anything. Uh, it, it, as, as you read uh, the English here, it's, you, you kind of have, um, uh, let's, I'll go ahead and bring it up here again, kind of going back. It says that we are to uh, discipline and instruct, right? So, so we see a discipline and instruction. I think those two are backwards. Pavia is actually more instruction. Discipline is probably the second one, which we'll get into. Doesn't change the English re reading, but you'll wonder why I hit instruction first 
That's kind of why. So this word pathia uh, is really, really important to understand. Uh, when we just kind of read that word in English, sometimes we don't understand the depth of that word. And it, it, I feel like the, the New King James maybe hits this a little bit more clear. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So that's instruction, training. That's probably more an admonition will be discipline, which we'll talk about here in a minute. So Israel Wayne is a Christian author, and he wrote a book, Education, Does God Have an Opinion? Really good book. I, I highly suggest getting it, reading it, seeing what the Bible actually says about education, how important our children's education is. And in, the, in, in his book, he, he mentions this word pavia, and he goes through uh, what it actually means in the Greek. And, and it's cool because he actually quotes a secular encyclopedia uh, that studies Greek. The Encyclopedia Britannica actually has this word, pavia, and this is what the, the secular encyclopedia says that pavia is a system of education and training in classical Greek and Hellenistic, which is Greco-Roman cultures, that included, right, included such subjects such as gymnastics, grammar, rhetoric, music, mathematics, geography, natural history, and philosophy. Whoa. So when we think instruction, a lot of times we think, don't hit your sister, clean your room, that kind of thing. No, instruction, this word instructions, it says fathers, this is what we're to do, instruct and discipline, right, teach and discipline, this teaching, this instruction encompasses all, everything from theology to math to grammar, it is all on you dads, that it is all on you of what your kid learns and how they learn it, and mom's obviously right there too, it is all on you, this is, this is your job, it's not anybody else's, so how do we, how do we understand that, how do we apply that understanding that fathers are responsible for <coughs> the education of their children, well, we first need to understand that this, this, this responsibility is square placed uh, you know, squarely on your shoulders and nobody else's. It is, it is your shoulders is where it is. It's not the public, or public education system that is so to educate or train your children. Frankly, it's not the church. It's not their job to educate and train your children. They're to preach the word, and your children should learn at church. But it's your job as fathers to educate your children in all of those aspects, everything from theology to mathematics. And that pressure is not directly placed on mothers. It's directly placed on fathers. And so that doesn't mean that moms aren't going to have a pivotal, if not even central role in all of this. Don't get me wrong. Mothers are pivotal in this, and they're huge in this. But dads, you have to lead. And as we talked about last week, God holds the husband responsible for the leadership of the home. And we read 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. This is another place where we have to stand firm in the faith. We have to act like men. We have to be strong and reject passivity. We have to lead actively for our families. For far too long, fathers have handed their children over to be taught postmodernism, atheism, secular humanism, feminism, anti-biblical values, and they've sat back and watched it happen passively. And this is what we've developed. Our public school system has developed. The culture has developed into this culture that we live in today. They have handed their children over to a system now that seeks to indoctrinate them with secular humanism. As Pastor Vody Bauckham so pointedly put it, we cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. Let me read that again. We cannot continue to send our children to Caesar for their education and be surprised when they come home as Romans. 
depending on the estimate that you use, the average student spends between 10,800 hours to 16,000 hours with their teachers at school, in the school system. Think about all that can happen in those hours, the indoctrination that occurs in that amount of hours that is spent in a system that is not just religiously neutral, it is frankly anti-God. Anything theistic is knocked down and kicked out. Just watch the Supreme Court cases. This coach who prays after games, not even requiring students to pray, but prays in public and is reprimanded, and now it goes to the Supreme Court. It is anti-God. It is not anything else. And the reason is because there, there is no such thing as religiously neutral education. There is no such thing. It does not exist because there has to be a worldview everything that we learn has to be taken in with a worldview. And so if one plus one equals two, it's because God made it that way. He created order. He created the world to work in order. He created the rotation of the earth. He created how far that we are away from the sun so that we don't burn up or that we don't freeze. He created our axis to be where it is. It all is because God did that. And so if you learn these truths, you learn that one plus one is two, you learn that the earth is this far away, but you don't learn it because God said so. There's a vacuum. There is a huge vacuum, and something will fill that vacuum, my friends. Something will fill that vacuum, and it will either be we're this far away because, or one plus one equals two because man decided it. Man came up with math. Man decided that, that one thing and one thing made two things, and so secular humanism is born. You learn it. Man is smart. Man is God. This is why it is. Or you learn it because it just happened by chance, by evolution. And so now you have a, an atheistic worldview that one plus one is not two because God made it that way. One plus one is two because of a big bang and something else happened and then something else happened. And this is just what happened. You rolled the dice so many times, one plus one just became two. That's where it's at. So the vacuum will be filled. And God is not allowed in our schools. He's not. A teacher can't tell them that this is why that this is, that, that God made the earth, that God created the earth. It is not legal in our society to do that, in our public school system. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher. But listen to this. But when everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like who? His teacher. Jesus says this. Is, these are his words. The teacher, the student becomes like their teacher. The student follows what the teacher teaches and becomes like the teacher. And that can be for a good thing or that can be for a bad thing. They will become like their teachers. And I think that many of us would agree and most of us would agree even in the best of situations with the best teachers there's still some huge worldview, worldview divides. And those worldview divides will come to fruition because that student will become like their teacher instead of become like you and agree with the family values and the family morals of where you're at on those things. To further understand Christian education, I think we have to go back to Deuteronomy 6, which lays out the importance of raising up our children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Join me as we read God's word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the Shema, which is, a, is what this, this prayer is called, what this, this statement is called. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
How can we be doing that if we're not with our kids? How can we obey those scriptures if we are not with our children regularly? Because of these and other scriptures in the Word of God that uh, time would fail me to go through completely, I, I personally take a very strong stance on home education. And I think private Christian education is still a great option if it is a conservative and Bible-believing school, and I fully support our Christian brothers and sisters that are doing that, but I, but I support home education for multiple reasons. The, the first is you can guarantee that they're getting a biblical worldview, that you are teaching math and science and art and everything through the lens of Scripture. You're able to pick and choose what goes into the minds of your children, and you're able to talk about the things in our society like LGBTQ plus issues, uh, abortion, postmodernism, and you're able to, to teach them with a biblical worldview and really be able to spend that time there. And most of all, you have that time to develop a relationship with your child. You're around them. You're able to teach them diligently. You're able to walk by the way with them. You're able to see their character flaws that need to be dealt with. You're you know, it, it really annoys you a lot more when your kids do things in your house than somebody else's, right? And so when, when you see your child continue to do certain things, you're a lot quicker to handle those things, to talk through those things, to teach through those things. And more importantly, you're able to gain a relationship with your child so that when they have those teenage years, and most teenagers don't talk to their parents about anything because their parents are, are not smart. You know, their parents aren't cool. Their parents don't understand because they have this group think, and we matter, and we know everything because we're 15, 16 years old, and so we, you know, we're smarter than them. And so we, we, uh, they ask each other about questions, and, and we see that even continue to go into that postmodern thinking where, the, where there's all this quote-unquote knowledge without experience we see that even with young parents a lot of times. Don't tell me how to do it. I got this. I read that blog. I talked to that guy. Dude, you're reading a blog by somebody who has kids younger than yours. How do they know what they're doing? You know what I mean? Like, you know, we, we, we have this thing. But when you develop that relationship with your kids, when you've spent that time training your children, developing a relationship with your children, doing things with your children, when they have struggles, they'll come and talk to you. They'll come and open up. And they'll be there. And you'll have a relationship our children aren't just boarding in our home waiting for the next place for us to drop them off at. We're a family. Too many families are so busy, they can't even teach their children. They can't talk about things because they're running from this event to this event and dropping off at school here and they're going here and they're going there, extracurricular things. How can you teach them diligently unless you have the time to do so? Parents, look at your calendar and figure out a way to start throwing things off, things that don't matter, events that don't matter extracurricular activities don't matter. I'm sorry, your son's probably not going to the major leagues. We're in, we're in West Virginia. We've got very few people that made it. You know, if you're on 15 travel teams, I'm sorry. Your kid's probably not making it. You're probably wasting your money. I'm sorry. I'll be the, I'll be the guy that says that. Uh, and, and the big thing is their character. So they make it, but then they make it and they give their whole, sell your whole soul, your whole life for that million dollar check. You know, what matters is their character. What matters is their character and your relationship with them as you move forward. Now, I understand that everybody's got a different situation. Not everybody, I, I, would be, I would be legalistic, I would be sinful to say the 11th commandment, thou shalt homeschool your children. Check. No, that, that is not, that, that would be going way out of bounds. However, biblically speaking, I think it's become abundantly clear that Christian education is necessary. That Christian education is required and taught by Scripture. And I have to admit, I, I would agree and go, on, go out on a limb here and agree with David, uh, Dr. David Jeremiah when he said this last July 4th. It's time to rethink Christian education. I'm now at the conclusion that the schools that are taking the state's programs are no longer a fitting place 
for Christian young people to be because they will be so brainwashed by this. We used to worry about our kids being brainwashed in college. Then we thought, well, if we're not careful, they'll get brainwashed when they're in high school. Today, public schools start brainwashing in the first grade. In all fairness, I, I stand very strongly on that opinion, that, that, that we have to teach our children from a biblical worldview. But I also want us as a church to not be anti-public education as far as public educators. I praise God that there are Christian men and women teaching in our public school system. I praise God that there are Christian men and women as principals, as board members, as you know, all kind of political members, different, different things like that. And I praise God that they're standing firm, that we're seeing bills like Florida that just went through. That happens because people stand firm in those cultures. It is clear, however, though, that although they need to stand firm and we, we pray for them, we lift them up, we encourage people to join those things, to get on your school board, get on, get on something, you know, get on any kind of committee in your local or federal or state government and make a change for the gospel. But what we do realize is right now, in the time that we live in, our system's winning and that our children will not hear the gospel in school if they're in a public school. So again, we back our public school teachers, we back our people who are in public servants who are doing these things. But here's the thing. Our job as fathers, our job as mothers, is to make the right decision for our own children. Our, our job is to step up and stand firm, reject passivity, and realize that your child is your responsibility. It's not the village. It's not even the church. It is your job to be sure to Deuteronomy 6, teach your children. Finally, I don't want to negate this call to a distinctly biblical education, but I realize that there are some people who have difficult situations that are beyond their control, whether they be financial, family situational, split parenting, multiple different ways that may prevent you from being able to either homeschool or Christian school your child. But I want to let you know we're available to talk and to try to figure out what we can do. Because one thing I've seen, when we take that step of faith, God will provide a way. And we will do our best to try to help you to, to obey Christ by keeping Christ the center of your family and the center of their education. Getting back to Ephesians 6.4, we see this, we've talked about this word pavia, which is uh, instruct. Then we get to this Greek word that is nuthasia. And this word's more of admonition or warning. We saw that in the New King James Version. Admonish, this is admonition. So this is more of that word discipline that we saw before. And I want to discuss three ways that we should why we should discipline our children as fathers as we kind of switch. We talked about instruction, raising up in the Lord, teaching them the word, making Christ the center. Well, now we need to see what do we do when they don't follow? Uh, how, how are we supposed to discipline? Why are we supposed to discipline and correct? So this is more of an admonition, a correction in righteousness. Number one, fathers should discipline their children because they love them, because they love them. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. We see that in Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So we need to follow Christ and, and how he goes. He disciplines us because he loves us. We discipline our children because we love them. However, I think if we look at most homes, the, the mother is the primary disciplinarian. And note that this was fathers discipline your children, admonish your children. And I'm not saying that mothers shouldn't discipline their children, but I see time after time a mother and father present, the child does something wrong, and who steps up? Mom. 90-some percent of the time, mom steps up. Dads, quit sitting on your hind end and get up and discipline your child. 
Take care of business. It's your job. If you're both there, don't make your wife bear that burden alone. And the second thing that I think is maybe the most dangerous thing we see is a child disrespects her mother and dad's right there and he stays silent. And mom has to defend herself. Mom has to handle business. If your son or daughter speaks illy toward your wife and you were sitting there, handle business, dads. Handle business because you love your children and because you love your wife. Our job as fathers, when your daughter or your son mouths at your wife, they have mouthed at you because you are one. They've disrespected your wife and they dis- disrespected you, and your wife will not feel more loved other, other than a couple, maybe other things. Very few things will make her feel more loved than to see you stand up and say, no, you will not talk to my wife that way. No, you will not talk to us that way. We will step up in this, and that's because you love them. Step up, reject passivity. So many of us dads, and we just sit there and just watch it, and we let our wives bear this burden that is just way, way too much, and we need to step up and do it. Number two, fathers should discipline their children for their children's good. Proverbs nineteen eighteen, Discipline your son, for there is hope. This is tough. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Wow, that is a tough verse. It shows that discipline is for the good of your child. And I started thinking about this, and I was praying about it, and I was like, man, that's a tough verse. Like, where are we going to go with that, and, and how are we going to move? I know it's on discipline, and I was kind of, you know, trying to expeditionally preach through discipline, since that's part of this scripture. But when we think about it, think about those in the prison system. Think about all those who are on death row. Most of those were not disciplined children. Most of those, their fathers set their heart on putting them to death because they, they ran away, they didn't handle business, they, they didn't care about their child, they didn't love them enough to discipline them and to, to admonish them and to tell them no, and to tell them that they loved them through that. And number three, fathers should discipline their children for their children's righteousness. Hebrews twelve eleven says this, for the moment all discipline seems p- painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So disciplining our children aids in their sanctification. Children who are biblically instructed and disciplined grow in righteousness as they learn to obey the word of God. I know this has been a tough sermon, so as we come to a close, there's, there's so much more that we could talk about. I mean, parenting is just huge. Being a child is huge. There's so many scriptures that we could go through, and I, and I would say, hey, let's keep, keep going through it. Keep studying it. Open up the word. Keep looking. And we want to come alongside you and help you through this difficult and sometimes terrifying journey of parenting and this culture. And so we're actually going to be starting a, a curriculum called The Art of Parenting with individual couples. And Lauren and I will be meeting. I think Sandra and Jim are going to join us some too um, to kind of walk through and kind of say, hey, not that we're the experts, not that we know everything, but we've had some godly men and women who have kind of poured into us, and we'd love to just do life with you all and kind of walk through things. So if it's something you'd be interested in, approach me or Lauren, and we'd love to kind of uh, start maybe meeting once a month or so and, and hanging out and going through that. We want to be a family that, that supports families, right? We want a church family that supports families. Also, as we close, we also want to know that Christ and the gospel must be the center of everything. Children, if, if you find yourself, man, I don't know, I just keep doing the wrong thing. I just keep sinning against my mom. I keep sinning against my dad. I just can't seem to ever do anything right. Let's start with the gospel. Are you born again? Have you humbled yourself before God? Have you repented of your sins, which means turn from your sins, believed in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins some 2,000 years ago, rose from the grave, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Have you been born again? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Because you can't obey your parents well unless you've been born again, unless the Holy Spirit is in you and helps you to do what is right. 
Same thing for parents. If you're like, man, I just can't seem to get this right. Like, I cannot seem to do that. Well, make sure you're born again and make sure you're in the Word. Both of those are so true. And I want to end with, this, with these powerful few verses as we end our sermon today. In Proverbs 127, 3 through 5. And may this be an encouragement as we get ready to leave here in a minute. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks to the, with his en- enemies in the gate. So our children are a blessing from the Lord, a heritage from the Lord. And as we raise our children, we're to sharpen those arrows by the word of God, by discipline and instruction and training in righteousness. Because one day we're going to shoot those arrows into this world, into this culture. And depending on how sharp that arrow is, how, 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 much, how much you've whittled, whittled down, how aerodynamic that is, depends on whether it's going to hit the target or not. And know that, that target is the target that God has set, not what you have set. Your job is to take the arrow to help through the Holy Spirit, through, through, through instruction, guidance, the Word of God, and to allow God to determine what target it's going to, but to allow the Word and allow the Lord to whittle that, to sharpen that arrow, to pre- prepare it to hit the target and the bullseye that God has it, has it ready to hit. I pray that every decision that we make, whether it's our time management, whether it's education, whether it's discipline, extracurricular activities, whatever it is, that it's all run through the Word of God, that it's all run through that idea that we are going to shoot this arrow out, and how can we do the best job that we can? How can we train our children to be as successful by God's standards and not by ours? Not how rich they can be, not how successful they can be, but how godly that they can be, how God-honoring and Christ-honoring that they can be. May God grant us the wisdom and perseverance and strength to complete this most difficult task of parenting. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this has been a tough teaching. It's tough on all of us. It's, parenting is, frankly, the hardest job, um, I think, that, that we have on this side of eternity. And as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, I pray that they come alongside parents as well. As church family, you know, we want to be a family church. So it's not just about moms and dads. It's about all of us. Uh, doing life as a family. And so although it, it doesn't take the village to raise children, it, it, it takes a, a godly mom and a godly dad or, or one, however you, you see fit, an adopted father, an adopted mother. But God, we do know that we are to do life as a community. And so although the responsibility is squarely upon the parent or parents, we do thank you that you've placed us in community, that we can have other people who also speak the same words into our children so that they can grow and their fear and admission of the Lord, that they can see, oh, it's not just mom or dad that believe this, it's also these people as well. And that we can have those voices that are resonating and echoing and coming alongside us and encouraging us as we do this journey. So God, may you bless us, bring us back again next week, and may you be ultimately glorified through us. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen. Have a blessed week.